Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, the series where I break down a bit of the Bible to get you to look at it more. In this episode, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, and we'll go a little bit there, another couple sections, and then we'll take a break. We won't finish the chapter this episode, we'll finish it next week, and so, um, yeah, I know, it, it's been a while through this chapter, but there's a lot that's going on here. And it's not even one of Jesus' sermons, he's just kind of throwing in little bits of dialogue every now and then. But if you remember what the the beginning part of Matthew 12 is about, the first uh, half or, or two-thirds or whatever it is, um, about the first half, I think. Well, I, I'm it's close enough to the first half. That's fine. If you remember what that's all about, it's about the Pharisees coming to Jesus and fighting him on various theological points, and then Jesus answering them on various theological points. And so they chase after him in the first few verses. He goes to their synagogue in the next few, and then they chase after him here uh, in, in the, the last section that we talked about last week. Um, they chase after him again with this whole demon idea. Well, you see this... There, there are issues with the Pharisees. Now, this isn't the first time the Pharisees have appeared. They appeared back in Matthew chapter 9. I found that yesterday, and so uh, I think I've been saying that this is probably the first time Jesus ran across the Pharisees, and I was wrong on that. My bad. Didn't mean to do that. But this is the first major interaction that he's had with them, or the first series of them, really. And so, you see the issues that the Pharisees are facing. They're being hypocritical. They're trying to tear Jesus down, whereas Jesus really isn't doing anything wrong. And so he instead turns that right back on them. Be careful who you condemn. That's probably a good lesson to learn. And so last time we started in verse 22 of Matthew 12, we were looking at this demon-possessed guy and the, the Pharisees' response to Jesus casting out the demon, and then Jesus' response to the Pharisees who responded to Jesus casting out the demon. Yeah, the, that sounds about right. Um, and, and we see there, again, this whole issue, the real heart of the matter is in verse 27, look, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? They're going to judge you for that. <laughs> where, where is your double standard? Why is it that you proclaim that your sons are good, whereas Jesus is evil, when they do the exact same thing? Why are you Pharisees such hypocrites? We're going to pick that theme up today. The other main thing we talked about last time is verses 31 and 32, right? This unforgivable sin, this blasphemy against the Spirit. And um, I hope it came across clearly last time. The idea there, I think the idea there is a reference back to even verse 28, driving out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This idea that the Spirit is not just like the force, the Spirit is not just a, a thing that's that's a, a person that's here, and so you speak badly against one person, you're, you're unforgiven, but if you speak badly against Jesus, you can be forgiven. I, I don't think it's that idea. I think the idea of the Spirit there is, is power and his authority and his kingdom. Basically, if you deny that God is the king and that God has rights to tell you what to do, if you deny that God has any power or authority to be able to forgive or to be able to justify, if you deny that Jesus has the, or that God has the authority to condemn, then um, you're not going to go to him for forgiveness, which means you're not going to be forgiven. Don't speak badly against the Spirit. Don't blaspheme against the Spirit. Don't uh, discount who God is, because you don't want to live in a world where God doesn't exist. Nothing good would happen. 
So let's pick up here. I hope that's a good enough summary of what we talked about last time and, and through the chapter as a whole. Let's pick up here in verse 33, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And so in these, just, these few verses here, Jesus really gets to the heart of the whole matter. Because if you remember, the first, the first encounter with the Pharisees, they're condemning Jesus' disciples for not doing anything wrong, uh, but they're saying, no, your disciples are wrong, but David, who clearly sinned, he's right. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're being hypocrites. That's not how that works. The second instance, they're saying, hey, you can't heal this man on the Sabbath. You can't free him from his uh, disability. But when, our, uh, when we have a sheep that drops in a hole, we can break the Sabbath to pull that thing out because that serves us. And Jesus says, no, do you not see your hypocrisy? In verse 27, as I've already mentioned, they're saying, look, our sons are good because they're casting out demons, and Jesus is evil because he's casting out demons. And Jesus says, no, that, that doesn't work. Do you not see your hypocrisy? And so here, he kind of clarifies the whole matter. right? Starting in verse 33, he looks at this and says, look, here's what you do. Don't be hypocrites, because that's really, really bad. Okay, God's never been a fan of hypocrisy. I think that's probably fair to say. And when I think about hypocrisy, I think about uh, one passage in Malachi. If you remember this, Malachi chapter 1, this is just what came to mind earlier today. Uh, Malachi chapter 1 in verse 10, where God is, uh, God is at this point where, with his people, where his people have come back from captivity, and they're sacrificing in the temple, and they're giving to God, at least verbally, they're sacrificing things to him, but they don't care about it, and they're not sacrificing good things to him, they're just performing the perfunctory manners of their religion. Malachi 1 verse 10, God says, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors, so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. God is not a fan of hypocrisy, right? And the Pharisees are falling square into that trap. They shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be those type of people. That shouldn't be happening. And so Jesus says, hey, don't be hypocrites. I've been warning you about this. Here's your solution. Matthew 12, verse 33, right? The Malachi thing is, is a side tangent to prove that, or to show that this is a consistent attribute of God um, being against hypocrisy. But look at verse 33. Look at where we're going. Jesus says, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. And I think he means this. Right? I think he does actually mean this. Either be good and speak good or be bad and speak bad, right? Be good and do good things, or be evil and do evil things. You get to pick. It's your choice. You get to choose what the heart's going to be, right? You get to choose what the core, what the motivation for doing all these things is going to be. 
that's up to you. And so choose wisely. Make the tree good, and the fruit will be good. Or make the tree bad, and that fruit will be bad. Because you're going to know the tree by what it produces. You get a freedom to choose right and wrong. <laughs> you get a freedom to choose if you're going to obey or not obey, if you're going to listen to God or not listen to God. And that's totally up to you. And God is okay, right? It does not affect God, no matter which way you take it. He's, he, he doesn't need us. He would prefer us. He, he would prefer that we listen to him. He would prefer that we obey. He wants us to, des deep, like deeply, I'm not going to say desperately, but he wants us to very deeply. He's given so much for us, but you have a freedom to choose wrong if you want to, and that's totally fine. But be consistent, <laughs> because a tree is known by its fruit, right? Be consistent in what you choose. If you choose evil, dedicate to it, and don't try to hide. The Pharisees have chosen evil, but they're trying to hide it. They're hiding it behind their religion. They're hiding it by sacrificing. They're hiding it by being uh, just keepers of the law and experts in the scriptures. They're hiding it by enforcing all of these traditions and these rules on top of what God said to show that they're such good people. And Jesus says, look, you're a bad tree who's trying to make good fruit. It can't be done, and it doesn't look good on you. God doesn't like hypocrisy. Leave that off. Be good. Like, do good things, sure, but do it from a good heart. Or, with your bad heart, do bad things. Don't try to hide. I think hypocrisy is probably worse than just openly being a horrible person. Because at least that, at least openly being a horrible person does not reflect badly on God. But when you're a hypocrite, when you say some things and then you just do totally opposite things, that's going to reflect badly if you claim the name of God. And so hypocrisy is just about the worst that you could ever get. So there's some warnings here as well, right? The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What you have already and, and what you are is going to be what you say. And of course you can hide that. We can see that. We can see that all the time. People are bad people and yet they say good things. Um, but the general rule is you're, you're going to want to produce what you have. If you have a bunch of good, you're going to want to produce good. If you have a bunch of evil, you're going to want to produce evil. So why would you have a bunch of evil and then try to produce good on top of it? What's it getting you, really? And we'll talk about this at the end, but but what practical benefit do you have from hiding who you really are? That way you just lose everybody, and you don't, even, you don't have a friend group in the good people, you don't have a friend group in the evil people, because you act in different ways, you're not consistent. And so nobody's going to want to be around that. You're going to live a better life if you're consistent, whether that's consistent and good or consistent and evil. Now, if you're consistent and good, you live the best life. If you're consistent and evil, you live badly. But if you're not consistent in either, you're going to get worse than both. And so Jesus says, hey, don't do that. Be consistent. Produce your good things from your good heart. Or produce evil things from your evil heart. Don't confuse the two. Because, because, and here's why this matters so much. Look at verse 36, look at verse 37. These are 
strong verses, hopefully scary verses to some extent. Verse 36, verse 37, on the day of judgment, right, uh, on, on judgment day, people, everyone, is going to have to account for every word that they speak. Now, this Bible says every careless word that you speak, every word that you, you speak and you don't think about, right, everything that you let slip, everything that comes out when you didn't mean for it to come out, every careless word, you're going to be judged for that. There's a, there's a note as well that this could, this couldn't, it's not limited to careless word. Maybe you could translate this as worthless word. Every word that you speak that's not backed up. Every word that you speak one way, but then you go and live a different way, and you've spoken it hypocritically. Everything that you do, everything that you say, is going to be judged based not just on what's right and wrong, but based on who you are. And if you've spoken hypocritically, you're going to be judged for that on top of speaking poorly. And so verse 37 is really a strong verse. And it might be odd at first. By your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned as well. Right? Do you want to be justified or do you want to be condemned? Do you want to be made free of the penalties or do you want to be put under the penalties? That's up to you acquittal or condemnation that's your choice so which one do you want well i would like to be acquitted but it's interesting that your words would acquit you right it's it's odd that you'd be able to say that what does that even mean i think of that passage in james james chapter three i think you're talking about the tongue right and it's somewhere in the midst there i'm not going to go look up the specific verse reference but somewhere in the midst there uh he says oh what does he say i've just forgotten it uh, oh, uh, if anyone can tame the tongue, he is a perfect person, essentially, right? If you have the self-control to tame what you say, if you have the self-control to always monitor and filter out what you're saying, you are perfect. You have the capability to be perfect. So, uh, yeah, you can be acquitted by your words if you're perfect in them, which definitely probably is not going to happen. And so there's difficulty there. There's incredible difficulty there, but I think what that should do is make us look at what we say. Because your words are going to acquit you or condemn you. If they're careless, if they're worthless, you're going to be judged for that. We need to pay attention to that. And we'll come back, we'll hit that idea at the end again. Let's look at verse 38. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Matthew chapter 12, um, 38 through 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the large fish, the huge fish, pardon me, three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment of this generation with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and look something greater than Solomon is here. What's going on here? Why does Jesus answer just such an innocent question so so harshly again? 
it's it's odd it might strike us as odd that jesus responds in these kind of ways to these people but remember these are the religious leaders these are the the scribes and pharisees the experts of the law they should know what they're talking about and yet they they don't believe in jesus even though he's all throughout the old testament they don't believe in him they're not listening to god and so there's a serious condemnation there Uh, further look at what they're saying right some of the scribes and pharisees said to him look we want to see a sign yeah like the uh the the sign that happened in verse 22 where jesus cast out a demon in front of the uh well in front of the crowds at least and then the pharisees heard about it in verse 24 you know maybe these are different pharisees but uh you think that news is spread a little bit that jesus can cast out demons so uh well, let's condemn him as a demon now. Do you think the the news where Jesus walked into their synagogue and healed a man with a withered hand, do you think that news has spread at all? I, I would assume so. Do you think they've ever heard about any of the things in the first 11 chapters or so where Jesus has done miraculous works and helped people? Do you think these scribes and Pharisees actually need a sign? And yeah, that might be a cynical way of looking at it, but look, we haven't heard anything good about the scribes and Pharisees at this point, and uh, we won't, because they're not good. They're not genuine. Nothing they've asked at this point has been genuine. Why would this be any different? And so they said, yeah, we want to see a sign from you. And he says, look, your generation, you're, you're messed up. You got problems. You're an evil generation, an adulterous generation, putting things... Um, I I would assume that's adulterous in the spiritual sense, putting things before God, because that's definitely what scribes and Pharisees do. You're the people who are demanding a sign. No, I'm not going to give you a sign. I will give you a sign, actually. Actually, hold up on that. I will give you a sign. Sign of Jonah. Now, what happened with Jonah? This this section requires a little bit of uh, biblical knowledge. Um, You remember the story of Jonah, this prophet who was told by God to go somewhere, and he uh, didn't, and then he got chucked overboard on a boat, and he got swallowed by a fish. That is a huge generalization, but, you know, it's good enough. He gets swallowed by a fish for three days and three nights, and Jesus says, hey, just like this happened, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be swallowed by something, by the heart of the earth, three days and three nights. So he's going to go underground for a bit, and then come back. I wonder what that is talking about. And we'll probably get to that in mm, about 15 chapters here, 15, 16 chapters. And so, hey, this will be your sign. And and guess what the Pharisees are going to say to Jesus' resurrection? No, that, that didn't happen. His disciples came and stole away the body. No, that didn't happen because we know that people can't resurrect. That, that didn't happen. We know that this guy is bad. We have determined it in our own minds. Therefore, God cannot support him. Therefore, something else happened, and we won't believe this evil and adulterous generation. Jesus will be proven right here in just a few chapters from now. But it doesn't stop there, right? Sign of Jonah now gets Jesus onto this other idea, because it's not just that he's going to perform this this sign of Jonah, perform this weird magic trick where he gets swallowed for a bit and then comes back up. No, there's something more here. You know what Jonah did? Jonah, Jonah was a horrible prophet, right? Uh, 
let's see, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. An eight-word sermon, which honestly, compared to how long some people go, uh, might be good sometimes. But but you hear that, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Well, that's not very encouraging. That's not very good. That's not something that should be, um, uh, that's not <laughs> venerated preaching. He's not even telling them to repent, and yet that's what they do. Jonah is a bad prophet. He, he is unwilling. He doesn't want to come. And so you compare that to Jesus. Jesus is a great prophet. He is willing. He did, well, in a sense, want to come. He didn't enjoy it all the time, but he wanted to come save his people. And so Jesus is a very, very good prophet. And when you look at the people who listened to Jonah, they all repented. So if people repented when they listened to a terrible, terrible prophet, when they get a really, really good prophet, in fact, the perfect prophet, when they get a prophet of that caliber, what do you think they're going to do? If they repented when the prophet was terrible, you'd think they really repent when the prophet's amazing, and yet what they've done is, Jesus says, you know, the people of Nineveh, they were more faithful than you are. The people of Nineveh heard this this message, not even a full message, and they repented of it. And yet, you've heard God himself speaking, and you were ignoring it. What do you think you're doing? Right? Who do you think you are? You think that you're the, you're the scribes and Pharisees, you're experts in the law, you know what you're talking about, you get to pass all the laws. Well, guess what? That's not how it works. The people of Nineveh are going to condemn you people. And if you know anything about the people of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, right, the great nation that everyone hated for their cruelty and for their injustices and for just their their general lack of morality and total and complete evil, those people are going to condemn these people of Jesus' day because those people listened and these people didn't. Something greater than Jonah is here. Why aren't you listening to it? You remember the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, I think. I, I figure that's the same queen. Um, certainly sounds like it. From 1 Kings chapter 10. She traveled a long way. She heard some things about this, this wise guy named Solomon. And so she traveled up. She wanted to hear him. And whew, man, he's so much better than even she's heard about. And so, hey... She, she listened, she benefited, she believed in him, and suddenly that message made sense. And Jesus says, look, I'm a better king than Solomon is. I'm wiser than Solomon is. I know more than he does. I'm speaking more important things than he is, right? He told her about, like, animals and, and, and plants and stuff. I'm telling you about spiritual realities. I'm teaching more effectively than he is, and yet you're not listening to me. Who are you? Who, who do you think you are? That you ignore the perfect prophet, that you ignore the perfect king, you ignore, you, you make up your own wisdom from the Old Testament and ignore God's wisdom that he's given. Who are you people? You're an evil and adulterous generation that's demanding a sign. That's what you are. And so don't be those people. Don't be that guy. Look at what your hypocrisy is doing. <laughs> Right? Look at what your attitude is doing here. The scribes and the Pharisees do not want to listen to him, and so they're going to be condemned. 
they are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. They are blaspheming against that kingdom. They are getting rid of God's rule. God doesn't have the authority here. Jesus doesn't matter. We're not going to listen to him. And, um, well, as long as they hold that viewpoint, they're not going to be forgiven. And that's back to verse 31 and 32. So let's pull it around. At the end here, let's talk about three different applications, um, three different things to think about from what we've just talked about. And hopefully these are, uh, well, good to think about. Uh, hopefully these are challenging because there's some important stuff in here. Look at verse 33 again. Verse 33 is just, it's so simple. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Look, be consistent in whatever you choose. Be consistent. Now, I could give you all sorts of life advice on how you should be consistent and what you should be consistent in, being consistent in good versus being consistent in evil, but Jesus says, hey, pick one and stick to it and don't hide. Right? Don't pretend to be something that you're not. If you're good, don't pretend to be evil. There are situations like that where you try to ingratiate yourself with other people. Don't do that. If you're evil, don't pretend to be good because that's not who you are. Be consistent. Let people know who you are. And uh, you'll be judged based off of who you are, but at least you won't be judged for being inconsistent on top of being judged for who you are. Uh, the second thing right? That's, we've run over that before. We've run over this before as well. Look at verse 36 and 37. Just super important here. On judgment day, you're going to have to pay attention. You're going to have to be judged for everything that you say. If you didn't pay attention to what you say, right? Everything that you aren't thinking about, you're going to be judged for it. And so you got to be thoughtful in how you speak. You've got to be paying attention in how you're talking your careless words, your worthless words, whatever it is, that can condemn you. That can also acquit you. It depends on how you use it. And so Jesus says, hey, be careful in how you talk. Be wise in how you speak. This is important. This is a key thing. And uh, I don't think we think about that enough. And then the third thing, the third thing, and, and I don't have any specific maybe not a specific application to put on this, but it's something for you to think about. This idea in verse 41 and 42, this idea, the people of Nineveh are going to stand up and condemn you because they listened and you didn't. The queen of Sheba will stand up and condemn you because she listened and you didn't. Jesus... He uses these people, of course, as examples because they are examples of faith, ultimately, as odd as that may be. Um, they're also Gentiles, right? They're foreigners. They're heathens. They shouldn't be repenting, and yet they are. And so that's already a surprise for them. But here's the thing. Just the Sheba and, and Nineveh, you wouldn't expect them to be good, but they are. They're good Gentiles. Who would Jesus compare us to? What nation of people would God compare your nation to? What individual in the Bible would God compare you to? 
And would he say, hey, you know, the people of Nineveh, you guys are better than the people of Nineveh because uh, you, you didn't wait to repent, right? You turned around. You came to me without me having to chase after you first. Is, is God going to say that? Or is God going to say, you know, the Pharisees, they're, they're better than you are. Because at least, at least I could tell what they were thinking, and at least some, some, uh, they they showed their true colors in the book of Acts, right? At least they showed who they really were, and you never did. Who's God going to compare you to, on the day of judgment? What would that comparison be like? And do you want that comparison? As long as you're alive. You've got a chance to change, and you've got a chance to fix that. You've got a chance to change that, where God could compare you to something that would be favorable instead of something that's unfavorable, instead of something that condemns you. It could be changed to something that's uh, that's good. You could be better, better than Moses because he was my servant, and he never even struck the rock, right? Better than Abraham because he didn't consistently have those trust issues. And and I know these are good men, but they had some problems too. Who would God compare you to? Are you like his servants or are you like someone else? That's the question that you're left with. I don't know who that is. I don't know what group of people that is or what individual that is, but that's what Jesus asks. You guys are like worse than Nineveh worse than Sheba. And I don't want that said about me. So be careful how you live. Well, thanks for listening. I hope that that's given you something or or maybe several things to think about. There's a lot of very important things that went on just in that section. And so, um, yeah, maybe a a little bit slower, but hopefully that's, that's good and practical and applicable for you. And hopefully that all makes sense. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've benefited from it. And uh, I hope to see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.